Welcome to the Chatter in the Box podcast, where your hosts, Liam Skiffington and Matt Indominico, discuss all things baseball. From breaking news to the latest free agent signings, they'll dive into today's game with some of the top minds from around the league. You can catch the latest episode of the Chatter in the Box podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, or Amazon Music, or visit our website at www.chatterinthebox.com. All right, back, MLB veteran, David Huff. How you doing, man? Doing well, man. Uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you joining. Uh, so, David, I brought you on today. I'm really interested in uh, your career entirely, but specifically your experience with baseball overseas so are you able to share with me some of the uh your most memorable moments from like playing in japan korea and mexico yeah i mean it's been it's been honestly it's been like a gift and like the fact that i could i was i was so turned off from going overseas when i was playing in, in the states that uh when i got the opportunity i kept turning it down like i when i was in triple a i was always the six starter i was always like the eighth guy out of the bullpen for depth and so i was never really like getting my shot i got it here and there but i was never really getting it was almost like they're like yeah we still want you but it was always one of those things like but you're gonna go down to triple a figure some things out and stuff so for me there was always scouts from korea it wasn't so much japan um i'll get to that later but um it was mostly like korea there was this guy um gosh blanket on his name right now Andre Park. Okay. He's a, I believe he's a scout for Texas now. So he went from working for LG twins in Seoul to being, um, I believe like the Latin American scout for the Dodgers. And then now he's now with the Texas Rangers. Um, he was at every AAA game that I threw that I was, he, he made sure that he stayed an extra day afterwards because he knew I was on the chart in the stand so he could come and talk to me. Um, and so, sorry, my other little one just woke up. No, no problem at all. Uh, but he, he basically, he was, he was always there and he was always asking me, he's like, Hey man, you know, can you, uh, can you, any interest in coming over to Korea? And it was like every start was like, I was beginning to think that this guy was like stalking me. And I, I just kindly just said, Hey, I'm not interested. You know, they're still making me, um, uh, you know, they still have faith in me. They still want me like all this. Stuff. So I, I never really wanted to go. Looking back on it now, I kind of wish I did a lot sooner. <laughs> um, so going over to Korea, it was just such a, an amazing experience. It, it was, everybody was telling me, they're just like, hey, just keep an open mind, enjoy the life experience and you'll love it. If you go in there thinking, oh, you know, I'm too good for this and all that stuff, uh, then you're not going to have a very good experience. And so I just kept it very positive, open, uh, talking to my agent constantly about it. And he said, just, it's a life experience. Just enjoy it. And so when I got there, I did. And I, and I loved every bit of it. We stayed downtown, uh, first in Gangnam. And then we ended up uh, over off of Samsung Station, which is, so Gangnam's about four stations down from the stadium. And then Samsung was like three stations down. And it was the same train. And they put us up in a really nice hotel uh, in Oakwood. It was like an extended stay, suite type situation. Overlooked all of downtown Seoul. It was beautiful. Loved it. Um, it was right above the Coex Mall, which is like the one I think it might be the largest underground mall in the world, I mm-hmm. think is what they were telling me. I, I might have gotten it lost in translation, but it was something like that. And 
everything was there. Grocery store, beautiful restaurants. I, I mean, there was this place called Joe and the Juice that was like right as soon as you got on the subway train um, to go to the stadium. It was right there. I, I became good friends with those guys. And they saw me every day coming in and out, even when they were closing and, uh, you know, after a game. And sometimes they would even like stay open just like five minutes, just like give me, I, I'd call call in ahead with the translator and be like, hey, can you order this, this, and that? And they were just like, yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, we'll give it to you when you get off the train. I was like, perfect. Thank you so much. And so I was getting dinner after games. Like it was amazing. Uh, I think the one memorable thing that I got out of, out of, uh, uh, out of playing in Korea was playoffs. The fans were, I mean, it was electric. I mean, absolutely electric and, and playing for them and in a sellout crowd playing against Kia, who's like the Yankees of, of Korea. They have the most championships out of everybody. Everybody kind of they have the they have the biggest fan base following. So like whenever they go on the road, it almost feels like a Kia home game. Mm. And so it, it was one of those things. We're playing these guys first round, pitching. I'm playing against Hector Noesi, who was throwing a gym. I was throwing a gym, and it was just a battle of the aces, basically. And when I came off, the the crowd was just cheering their heads off, like, oh, great job. I got taken out of the game. I think it was like, I think I went six and two thirds. Uh, I think Hector ended up going seven. And and then it was, it was just the battle of the bullpens. I think we ended up losing like one nothing. It was it was crazy. It was an awesome game. Wow. And and we just, uh, when I went walking off that field, I don't know what came over me, but I just I took my hat off and I tipped the cap to the fans. And the crowd went crazy. I, I don't know why I did it. I wasn't like, a farewell or anything like that. It was just, it was just kind of like, it just came over me. I took my glasses off, took my hat off and they were just like, I gave them like a little hit, you know, a uh, little applaud for them and everybody went crazy. And then when the season finished, um, they stayed after, they stayed after the game and they, and like player, like I'd be out on the field with my son. We had, we had Ethan at the time, my oldest, uh, Dylan wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a thought yet, <laughs> but, uh, we were out on the field just playing. He just wanted to play baseball, hit the ball, run the bases. They were all standing there doing the chants and singing. And it was just incredible. Like they really backed their players up and, and, and just love their, love their guys. They do. So Dave, you said that like uh, you were offered to go over there multiple times and you just kind of kept saying no, kept saying no, kept saying no. What was the first, like, what was that moment for you where you were like, yeah, actually now I want to go. I <laughs> it was actually a moment of failure. Uh, I was I was with the Angels. I so it was 2016. I was with the Royals to start spring training. Ended up in AAA in Omaha. Um, had an okay spring training, just not good enough to make the team. I think from what I've been finding out as my career has been going on, the team's pretty much set when it comes to spring training. They're just looking for like one, maybe two guys that just to kind of complete the roster. Couple standouts, and maybe. Couple yeah, and that's that's it. Like that's really all they're looking for. It's not like, hey, forty guys in big league camp. You know, thirty of you guys have a chance, or, or maybe even thirty-five of you guys have a chance to beat out one of the veteran guys, or beat out a guy that has a terrible spring training. No, that's not how it works. It's like we're really only looking for one or two guys. And I think that's what a lot of young guys don't understand because they're like, hey, I'm killing it this spring training. Why am I not getting a look? And it's just like. Cause they got their guys. <laughs> so, uh, I ended up in Omaha played the first month and I had an out. So I ended up going from Omaha freezing my butt off, uh, to Salt Lake city, or I'm sorry, not to salt. 
Yeah, to Salt Lake City. Took my out, went to the Angels, went to Salt Lake City for about two weeks, three weeks. And I was struggling with my command of my cutter. Like my cutter was either going dead straight or it was sinking and it was going the other way. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? This, this is not good. Like this thing needs to be going the other way. And so I had another out coming up and the angels wanted me, wanted me to stay. And they're like, Hey, we're going to call you up. I was like, oh, no. I'm like, I don't have all my stuff. This is awesome. I have a fastball and I have a change up. That's about it. So um, they call me up. I start against New York. I go like four innings, giving up. It might have even been three. I, it was not a good outing. I, I gave up like six runs, uh, got taken out of the game. We ended up losing. Uh, we ended up going back home to Anaheim, which was – it was my dream to play for Anaheim because I lived in Huntington Beach. It was 20 minutes from my house where I lived in Costa Mesa. It, it was it was the dream job. And you know, I played for L.A. and the Dodgers, and that was like 45 minutes, and I was just like, okay, this is – it's a little bit of a grind driving 45 minutes to and from the stadium. Yep. But Anaheim was 20 minutes. It was perfect. And what ended up happening, I had I made one more start in Anaheim, and the same thing happened. It was against Cleveland, my old team, which I was really pissed off about because I was like, I really want to pitch well against these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, yeah, they ended up uh, basically the same thing. It was like three or four innings, gave up like six or seven. Social was just like, dude, I don't know what to do with you. Like, this is crazy. Um, I mean, it also didn't help that I was in the bullpen where if the starter the night before didn't go how he was supposed to go, I was going to be the guy coming into the game. Mm-hmm. And so as a starter, when you're so routine-oriented and you're so set in your schedule, it kind of throws a wrench into things. I'm not making excuses, but I'm just saying it kind of throws a wrench in. So I went out the next day, uh, pitched the way that I did, and then they DFA'd me. And then that's when I turned to my agent. I said, screw this. I'm over it. Do we have anything overseas? And he goes, hey, LG is still interested in you. Let, I'll get him on the phone. We'll talk to him. Immediately calls me back. Hey, we got this flight, this flight. You know, you'll come out. We'll book, book you business. We'll do all this stuff. All the bells and whistles to get you out to Korea. I was like, all right, cool. Let's do it. My wife at the time was like, okay, you know, this is a new experience. My first experience playing international. And, you know, I was, I wouldn't say panicked or nervous. I mean, I was a little nervous because of the you know, language barrier, the, you know, different things about it just made me kind of on edge. Right. Yeah. And, How but, did you adapt? The what? How did you adapt? I, you know, I just kind of, I, I just try to lower my standards. Like it's not the big leagues. I mean, I'm coming off of a big league outing that was awful. And then going to Korea, my, my agent's just like, hey, just it's not the big one. Just keep that in mind. It's not. Uh, so they're like, and my, my agent was like, hey, we do think they do things a little different over there. And, you know, I watched Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck back in the day. You know, I was, I was kind of, I, I had to rewatch that to kind of watch. Like, <laughs> I see what I'm getting myself into. I, I, I can't imagine Korea is much different than Japan. So first game I go out there, I sit, in the, I sit behind the plate with the translator. And I'm just kind of watching. It's not really full. We're playing. I don't know exactly who we were playing, um, but it, it it was. You had the band going. You had the fans chanting. You had the star players. You had you. Uh, I think Luis Jimenez was our third baseman. We had Henry Sosa, who was our who was our starter. That like was our ace. Um, and then we had. Uh, Oh my gosh, Ryu J. Cook was a was another guy. I guess he played a stint in Chicago for the Cubs. Okay, so, like we had guys that spoke English, 
mm -hmm. could help me out. So the transition was very easy, let's just say. I mean, I was trying to learn Korean. Korean is a hard language. It is very tough. I feel like any language is hard to learn. It, it really is. Yeah. Uh, I think when you're kind of just thrown to the wolves to try and learn whatever you can on the run, you learn it quicker. But yeah. it's still hard. Like, I feel like I picked up Japanese faster because it was like, they just threw me to the wolves and that was it. It was you're just like, hey, you, too, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like when you're learning how to swim, it's like, Hey, dad's going to throw you in the deep end. You either sink or you swim. It's one of the two. It's, yep. and, and so I think that's why I picked up Japanese so much faster and quicker, quicker. Korea. It was, it was tough because like, I was always looking for somebody for, for help, for translation, for, you know, I was usually Google translator. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and at the time Google translator was just kind of, it was just kind of in the beginning phases, I think. Right. Uh, but it was, it was, it was okay. Like I went out there open-minded. Hey, there's, I talked to Henry Sosa. I was like, Hey, I'm like, I'm new to all this. It's my first time traveling. He goes, look, there's going to be a lot of weird stuff that happens that you don't agree with. Just go with it. And I was like, okay, like what kind of weird stuff? And then all of a sudden as the season went on, I was noticing some, like some umpires that didn't like foreigners there, you know, you throw a ball right down the middle. I'm talking like middle, middle mm -hmm. and they'll ball you. And you're just sitting there. And if you, and if you show any emotion or like throw the hands up or, or kind of give any kind of anything, they, they freak, they're going to be like, okay, your strike zone is this big. It now goes to this big. And, and you just got to work with it. So like all, I, I was known for the guy that when I would throw a strike and the guy would ball me, I would smile and laugh. And it got around the league that I was, I was the guy that smiles. That looks like he's having too much fun or laughing too much. And I think I even had one umpire that told my catcher, like, hey, tell that guy to stop laughing. It's not funny. And I was just like, fun. wait, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing at the situation. Like, don't be mad at me. Like, you're the one that messed up. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so, yeah, that was basically my firsthand experience with it. I, I loved it. Dave, what can you tell me about the differences in the balls um, in the KBO, but in MLB? Um, so the balls, okay, so the seams, the seams on an MLB ball, you've seen those. those like, it's different from the minor league balls. Minor league balls thicker and and a little higher on the seams mm -hmm. whereas like the, the major league ball is thinner and a, and a little more rounded like it's very hard to get any kind of break but you end up getting more spin and more velo out of the major league balls because there's not much resistance when they spin mm -hmm. so like change-ups cutters those types of pitches splits end up doing really well with the mlb ball um whereas with the minor league ball because until they made the changes obviously these this was back I don't know when they made the changes. What, like 18, 19, I think they started making the changes to AAA balls to be yeah. more like major league balls. Um, you, you, if you had a, a curveball or a slider, it was like curveballs were this big, sliders were this big, and then you get to the big leagues, and now your slider and your curveball are like this. It's, mm. it's a huge difference. Uh, Two-seamers were like this with minor league balls, and then they were like, this, they were like little runners with major league balls. So getting over to Korea... First off, they don't they don't rub up their balls, so there's none of that Mississippi mud where it gives it that nice little like skin tone color. There's nothing like that. It's completely um, clean. It's completely clean. It's white. But the thing is, they they put these they put these balls in this packaging with tin foil, and I think there's some kind of I wouldn't say adhesive, but there's some kind of a powder tack spray that they put on it, and they package it, and then they put it in a plastic bag, and then they just rip the plastic bag, take the tin foil off, and there's your ball. And then you just pat, not, not on the ball, but you pat some of the rosin. The rosin in Asia is unbelievable. 
Like I'm not kidding. When it, when we we what was it 2021 when we started getting getting away from the sunscreen and the the pine tar and the spider tech and all that stuff. I know that you Darvish was in communication with the commissioner Rob Manfred for getting potentially getting whatever Asia is using to bring over to the states. Hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, 100%, please do it. It is way better than anything we have out there. What makes it that much better? I don't know. It's like a fine powder. It's it's like a little square. It's about literally no bigger than this. And it's it's almost like a baby powder. Like it's that fine and that soft, hmm. but it ends up all over your hand. And then all you need is literally just a little bit of humidity or a little bit of moisture. And you're literally like it's it's tacky and it's just a rosin and and then all of a sudden you get you start putting on these balls and you throw like four or five pitches and all of a sudden the ball's really sticky because now the re, the like the residue of the of the rosin is on the ball and then you fouls it off and you're like oh god I got to start all over again so you're like oh, man the, the weird stuff about the stuff in the United States is it, it it's it's like rocks that you have to like crunch and grind up and then you get you finally get that powder it is sticky. But you have to like get sweat. You have to like do something to get some moisture. What, whatever it is that you have to do to create that tack, it alone, it's not that great. Like you're not, you can't really get what you need. Whereas, you know, some guys, I don't know who's doing it, but, you know, before 2021, when they made the rule change, it, I mean, you could literally hold a ball with your hand open and the ball would still be sitting there. <laughs> uh, so, I when they started making those changes, I was like, we need to go Asian style and get the SSK, get the Mizuno, get the whatever else they use, uh, and use those uh, rosin bags because those were amazing. Interesting. I wonder why they haven't made their way over to MLB. Uh, I don't know. Very weird, Dave. While you were in during your time in MLB, what was the weirdest concoction you saw a pitcher use for a pitch grip? <laughs> you know, I'll. I mean, hey. I'm the pot calling the kettle black. I, I use stuff. Uh, I didn't use spider tack. I, to this day, I still yet to use spider tack. Spider tack to me, at least like seems almost too sticky. Yes. And I think so too. So there was a, there was a time when I was playing for the Indians. Um, I threw into a guy and I got, and I, and he literally fouled it off or no, didn't foul it off. He broke his bat. He hit it off the part where the pine tar was. And the infielder fielded it, or I fielded it, somebody fielded it, uh, and got the guy out, threw it around the horn, got the ball back, and some pine tar got on my thumb. And I was like, oh, no. And I was like wiping it off, trying to get it off my hand, doing whatever I can. The next two pitches, I spiked. I'm talking 45 feet straight into the grass. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, no, this is not good. And so I'm like trying to get it off, doing everything I can, hitting the rosin as, as much as I can to get on my thumb because it was literally right here, right where I placed the ball. And when I go to release, it would just stay on my thumb and just go straight down. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it. I, so my biggest thing that I ever used, I was using sunscreen and rosin. This is before the rule change. And then obviously when the rule change happened, I just went rosin. So with sunscreen and rosin, it was just enough tack not to change my stuff. Analytically, I still had the same spin, same break, same everything. But when the thing that I, the, it could be used to an advantage for my confidence sake, when I tried to go arm side inside to a left-hander, I knew for a fact that I was going to dot that spot up because I'm a, I'm a control guy. Mm-hmm. 
So if I didn't have that confidence going into a left turn, it would have changed things. So knowing that I can grab sunscreen and rosin and know that I could go right into a left-hander just under his hands, like literally right here and not have to worry about hitting him. That could have been an advantage for me. Um, you know, you could say I was cheating because I was using it. Like at the time, everybody was using something. Uh, but for me personally, I, nothing changed. Like if I use something and my RPMs go up, my, my inches of break go up, like whatever it is, if you go from throwing something like this to something like this and it completely changed the profile of the pitch, then yeah, I think that's something that needs to be looked at. Mm -hmm. But if you see me and my slider and my, my cutter are still going the same as if I didn't have anything, then I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you could technically say I was using stuff and using it to my advantage, but I think it was more or less for me to have the confidence that I wasn't going to put it in somebody's ear hole. And knowing that I was going to hit my spot inside to a left hander. Yeah, you want more control. A batter, I feel like batters want that too. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't want to fight anybody. I don't want to hit anybody on accident. I don't want to end somebody's career. No, not that I throw hard enough to end somebody's career. I don't want to run one up and in and like just totally screw up everything that's in here. Like, right? It's the last thing I want to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, David, um, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Let's talk okay. baseball united. Yeah. How did you guys become? How did you uh, link up with them? So, last year when I was uh, when I was playing for this was not this past season, but the season before when I was playing for Mexico City, Mitch Lively got traded over to our team, and me and Mitch we played with the Giants together in fourteen. So we reconnected and and. Um, basically he was telling me all about it. And I'm like, wait, I'm like, what is this? And, they're, and they're, he's like, yeah, it's baseball in Dubai. I'm like, How do I get in? I'm like, I would absolutely love to do that. And he goes, he goes, I'll give you the number of a guy. His name's Eddie Diaz. Uh, he's the owner of Durango. Uh, he's also back and forth. He's managed. You're going to have to look up his resume. I'm a little hazy on it, but he's managed. He's coached. He's played. He's now he owns a team down in Mexico. I don't know if he's part owners of a team in in uh, the States, but he is very much involved in all aspects of baseball. And, and he, I started talking to him about it. And I said, Hey, I'm like, my name's David Huff. Uh, you can look me up. I, my resume is pretty, pretty lengthy. I, I've got international experience, which is what kind of baseball United was looking for. They were looking for guys with international experience because you know, obviously playing in a new country, playing, you know, the expectations of going to a new country, the expectations of playing on new fields, because sometimes fields can be bad. Sometimes fields can be really nice. It just, you just kind of go with it. So for me, I, I just talked to him and we just kind of connected and had to continue the uh, conversations from that point onwards and just said, Hey, like if there's anything that I can do, please let me know. And he said, Hey, can you just help every time we kind of post something? Can you repost it? Help promote this? I'm like, Absolutely. No problem. He goes, you're in. And uh, actually, tomorrow morning, I'm leaving to go to Cincinnati to uh, to go to the draft. And I think like Didi Gregorius is coming. I'm going to be there. We just, I think like Ryan Howard just signed on as co-owner. Robinson Cano. I mean, they're they're catching some serious traction here with a lot of big names. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's going to be like a kid listening to all the older veteran guys tell stories and. I can't wait for that. I mean, I could sit there all day listening to these stories, but you know, play with Mariano, played against Adrian Bell, uh, Bell, uh, Beltrix, right? Pardon me. Um, played against Felix Hernandez, like all these guys against Elvis Andrews. We were on fall ball 
uh, Arizona Fall League together uh, mm-hmm. when he was an upcoming shortstop with Texas and I was an upcoming pitcher for the Indians. So, I mean, I've played with, played against all these guys, played with pool holes. I mean, played uh, against him for so long. I mean, one of his one of his 70-something home runs that he hit that one that one season <laughs> to the home run race. I think I was like yep. number 55 or 56 probably. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it's going to be a really cool experience watching everything that they're posting, all the news articles that are coming out, reading up on it. And everything sounds awesome. That's coming out of it. So you're going, you're going to Cincinnati Wednesday waiting to hear your name called, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm literally leaving tomorrow, getting on a plane, meeting up with them. I think there's something going on Tuesday. And then I'm, I think the draft is Tuesday. It's either draft tomorrow 19, or Tuesday. I believe. Or yeah. And then I'm, I'm back home Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Wow. Quick turnaround. Yeah. Turn, turn around. Yeah. So Dave, but okay. So what excites you about the prospect of playing baseball in the Middle East somewhere that it's never been played before? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you see how, how incredible cricket is. And my wife's Australian, so she knows all about cricket and she's like, cricket's boring, all this stuff. And I, and I sit there and I just like, you know, cricket is very similar to baseball um, and to certain aspects of it. And you know, if they love cricket as much as they do, I mean, you make baseball is pretty incredible as well. It's you know, it's a historic game. It's been around forever. Uh, you know, it's really big, obviously, and we know in the states and and making big, making it big all over the world now. Um, I mean, they love they love the live guys when they brought the live guys over there for for the golf. I'm not saying that baseball United might not be on that magnitude, but I mean, maybe someday it can be something. Um, we'll see. I mean, Dubai is one of the richest thriving countries in the whole world. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty insane to see, to watch and see how, how this picks up traction. And I mean, it could be another Japan. It could be another Korea. It could be another Mexico. Like everybody's very passionate about their teams. And so, you know, if they're as passionate about baseball as they are about cricket, I mean, sky's the limit with those guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Dave, what do you, have you been to, uh, Dubai or anywhere in the Middle East? No, never. No, okay. my first time. So, wow. Okay. Okay. Exciting stuff. So what does, what does your family say about this? <laughs> my, my, I think my wife has been there. She used to be uh, a professional makeup artist and she was working on jobs kind of all over world all over asia and everything what an interesting job wow i know right she's done more way more traveling than i have and she i didn't start traveling until i met her so um she says it's beautiful she can't she wish she could go Mm -hmm. i wish my family could go i I know this year it's only for 10 days it's i think it's about six to eight games there's only four teams yeah and i believe the following year in 24 they're looking to expand the teams to six and then have a full winter ball season. Yep. So if I end up going back for the following season, I would like to think that my family would be joining me as well. Yeah. Okay. How, Dave, so they're starting a brand new professional league in a country that's never seen baseball before. To, in yeah. your head, like what has to go right for this league to be successful? Honestly, like kind of just nothing really needs to change the way baseball is being played right now. Um, you know, like, the way guys are kind of showing more emotion nowadays, rather, you know, back in the day, it was very frowned upon, you know, to a certain extent, I like it. 
I've been experiencing it in Mexico constantly. Like guys hit a home run, they pimp it, they walk it off, they flip the bat, they do everything. Japan, same way, they flip the bat. Uh, you know, I think as long as you just make it exciting, it, it, people are going to love it. I think they're going to love how hard pitchers throw. They're going to love how, how far the ball gets hit. I mean, the guys from the group that I've seen that are in this league, there's guys with pop, there's guys that throw hard. I mean, like you're going to have it all. I mean, making spectacular plays, showing a little bit of emotion, but not enough. You know, like it, you got to ride that fine line, show the emotion, but don't show up the other guy. Like it's one of those things. And you know, if you got a pimp strikeouts, if you got to just, I think the one thing that might hurt this league is if emotions get too high and guys try to fight. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only thing that might ruin the whole experience. I think if guys go in there and they're just like, Hey, we're here to play baseball. Let's have fun. Let's do it. Let's show everybody how fun and exciting this game is. I, I think it's going to, it's going to throw. Absolutely. What do you think about the prospect of like a whole new baseball market rooting for you, looking up to you? I think it's going to be amazing. I mean, I've done it basically three times now, uh, you know, going into Korea, that whole new market for me, and then going to Japan. Uh, and then the fans, the fans in every country were, were just absolutely amazing. I mean, even when I went over to Australia, which was like a winter ball league that's kind of played at high school fields, even the fan base that was in that was incredible. It was more family oriented. It was, it was crazy. You know, Mexico, they're very much passionate about their team. They will let you know if you play a bad game, they will let you know when you have a great game. And most of the time it's obviously a good game, but uh, you know, Japan, like there's no such thing as a bad game unless you have like a, a like kind of a chain of games where you just don't pitch very well or you don't play very well. Um, but I mean, if, if it's anything like that, like those countries, I think it's, it's going to be pretty amazing. I mean, it, I've seen how passionate they are about their cricket and their other sports. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like the, the fan following is, I think Eddie Diaz was telling me one day that Mike Trout has so many followers on social media, whatever it is, like, five million or something like that i don't know i don't know don't quote me on the numbers Mm -hmm. Uh, but the most popular player in cricket in dubai has like 30 40 million followers or something it's it's like crazy so it's yeah it's insane so it'll be interesting to see how they just receive baseball i think i think it's gonna go well to be honest i'm very optimistic about it i've uh, through Baseball United putting out all of their press releases and stuff, there's, I've learned that there's 57 million active baseball fans in uh, the Middle East. That's oh, wow. far greater than the active baseball fans in the United States. Yeah. So the adoption of it, I would think the same as you. I would think they would relish in the opportunity to see, especially these high-level players, play in front of them in their home country. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, honestly, like that, I can't, I honestly, I, I don't know what to expect. I know it's going to be a grand scale, but I, I'm just going to go in, eyes open, ears open, smiling, like, and just enjoy every every minute of it. Absolutely. So Dave, before I let you go here, you've seen, we know there's four franchises right now. Have you yeah. seen all of their logos and all of their gear? I have, yeah. I've been actually posting all about it. I think it looks, they're incredible. They do look awesome. What one is your favorite? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Which one's got the, I won't say favorite. Which one's got the coolest gear? Um, I, I do like, I like the teal and navy. I think that's a great color combo. Um, okay. I do like the, the blue and white. It's very traditional. I like the Karachi ones. Those are really uh, nice. The, the, the Cobras, the Mumbai Cobra, uh, Cobras, I think remind me so much of uh, Dodgeball. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if we need to like come in. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like it a lot. I think the color scheme's great. Um, you know, when I was playing for for Mexico City, speaking about Dubai, uh, I was we were talking about uniforms, and we we had we had the white, we had the red jerseys with white pants, we had maroon with with gray pants, we had um, black jerseys, we had all the, we had all the colors because we were red, red and black, and then white and gray, and then we had like a vino alternate whatever jersey, kind of like the shirt. So. Um, I was talking to some of the teammates and I was like, you know, it'd be really sick is if it was just like all black with like red piping and then like the Diablos logo. And sure enough, no joke. I look at the uniforms and I see Dubai and I'm like, that is sick. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty sweet. Like they got some pretty cool like color concepts. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of favor because I'm new to it and especially like, so Two years ago, we had the all red where we had red pants, red socks, red belt, red jersey, red hat. How'd you like that? I thought it was okay. It was I was excited at the beginning, but then when I started wearing it too much, I was like, yeah, okay. Got to old. I, I did like I liked it, but it was just, I don't know. I'd, pre- I'd prefer the white crisp pants like with the red. Mm-hmm. Uh, this past year, as we saw Teal, we were black, teal, white, and gray. So we had an all black murdered out uniform that was black with teal piping and it looked sick that's it was like nobody liked it but i was on my start days we were wearing that uniform because they, they knew how how like hyped i was on, on that uniform so um to see the all black with the purple piping and the all black with the red piping i do kind of favor that a little more i like that color concept um but all the teams all of them look great i love the teal teal is one of my favorite colors obviously the hat um, and and I love to I love traditional stuff as well. So I mean, seeing seeing the uh, the blue and white I, was pretty incredible. Yeah, they they got some good color combos. Well, yeah. Dave, Huff, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Good, best of luck next week in Cincinnati, and uh, we hope to circle back with you sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.